Hello and welcome to The Personal Investor. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, what do stock markets want from this week's US midterm elections? With results still being counted, does one party hold the confidence of investors more than the other? Or do markets just want some certainty? And then a look forward to next week's autumn statement in the UK. And in particular, which of the rumoured tax rises, if any, will come to pass? If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Votes are being counted in the 2022 US midterm elections, with control of the House of Representatives, the Senate and various governor races still in question. At time of recording, nothing has been decided, but a predicted red wave of Republican victories has failed to materialise. Markets were rising in the days leading up to the election, but how are they reacting now and what do investors see as the optimum outcome. To talk it over, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Uh, Tom, welcome along. Um, we're also going to spend some time today on uh, UK matters, but let's start with what's been going on across the pond in the last couple of days. Uh, for anyone not already aware, can you tell us what votes we're getting this week and why they matter? Yeah, so these are the, the, the midterm elections, uh, as you say. Um, uh, they happen in the middle of the four-year presidential cycle. So effectively, there is a, there's an election every two years um, in, in America. Um, what's at stake uh, this time is control of the two houses of Congress, which is the lower house, the House of Representatives, uh, and also the Senate, and as you say, a number of uh, governorships of um, uh, states as well. Uh, so um, lots of lots of moving parts. The expectation was uh, that um, both of the houses of Congress would fall to the Republicans. Um, before uh, this week's elections, the Democrats controlled the White House and both houses of, uh, of Congress, which is a very powerful position in terms of the ability uh, of the president to push through uh, legislation because he has the support um, of, of Congress. So it's very significant if, um, if one or both of the houses of Congress uh, move to the Republicans. As you say, we don't know the result yet. Uh, what looks like uh, is going to happen is that the House of Representatives is going to move across to uh, Republican uh, control, but by rather less than people expected. Mm -hmm. um, actually, uh, we only needed um, five um, uh, seats uh, in the House of Representatives to flip to the Re Republicans. Um, the expectation was that we'd have something like 27 going the other way mm -hmm. the reality looks like it's going to be about eight uh, okay. so it's actually only just uh, enough which has surprised many people and it's, and in fact has, has run counter to the polls in the in the run-up to the election the more interesting question probably is what happens in the Senate because the Senate before this week's elections was split absolutely 50 50 the only way that the Democrats had control of uh, the Senate was uh, through a mechanism whereby the vice president, Kamala Harris, actually has a casting vote. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, there are four seats um, uh, undecided um, and every possible outcome is still uh, is still possible. So um, I think what we're probably going to end up with is um, is a divided uh, Congress. Um, so at least one of the um, uh, one of the um, houses of Congress will will go to the Republicans, and what that means, the significance of that, is that it's going to be much more difficult for 
the president to push through legislation. It's the so-called lame duck presidency, mm. whereby the president has two years before the next election when it's really quite difficult for them to push through um, any legislation, particularly on the on the economic uh, front. And so I think that's that's the kind of gridlock that we're likely to see after once 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 the dust has settled on these results. Yeah. And, and whenever we discuss the US political system, we always say that these um, these gridlocks, I mean, they're not necessarily a bug in the system. They're actually a feature of the system, aren't they? They are um, designed to be a check and a balance. Yeah. And um, it can seem frustrating, but it, it, it is always quite hard for any president to get things done, even when they do have majorities. I mean, the, they technically had control of the Senate, the, the Democrats, but they've got um, one or two at least uh, very troublesome senators who don't always go along with what the uh, president wants. And they've held up and they can really change and alter legislation anyway. Mm. And and it's not unusual, is it, for, for the party of the president to suffer big defeats in midterms that's actually the normal run of things isn't it isn't it in, in america so this lame duck scenario not great for joe biden and his presidency but not unusual in terms of history yes i mean that is the the usual uh, course of events and it's particularly um uh, the case uh, when the economy is going through a difficult period, because not surprisingly, uh, voters tend to um, blame the incumbent for their economic difficulties. So that, I think, is one of the reasons why we expected quite a big swing to the Republicans. So I think in terms of throwing this forward and looking forward to what the significance is for the the main election in two years' time, uh, I think the Democrats will probably come out of this feeling like they've had a better midterm uh, than 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 the Republicans. Yeah, and 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 you know one of the reasons that Joe Biden was predicted to struggle, as you say, is that the uh, the, the economy uh, is tough for for uh, many Americans right now, and inflation is obviously a part of that. We have our own story to tell uh, on this side of the Atlantic, as far as those things are concerned. How is the U.S. economy doing, Tom, in relative terms? Then, when when you compare it to to other markets and other regions of the world, like the UK, like Europe. How is how is America doing? Well, it's doing a lot better than most of the rest of the world, and that's um, in large part due to its uh, lesser dependence on um, uh, Russian energy. Um, so the jobs market is actually pretty strong in, in the US. Jobs are still being created. The unemployment rate is still uh, pretty low. Um, and that's why we're still seeing, um, you know, a pretty um, um, strong hawkish approach by the Federal Reserve. They, mm. they, 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 they have still a significant inflationary problem. Inflation is running at more than 8% uh, in, in America, which is not quite as uh, bad as here, for example. Uh, but it's way above the Federal Reserve's target. So we're seeing uh, a tightening of monetary policy. And that in due course is going to have uh, an, an impact on the there's always a lag between changes in monetary policy and and the real impact are, are on the economy. So we will see that I think 2023 will be a more difficult year for the US economy. But in relative terms, to answer your question, uh, the American economy looks a lot healthier than it does on this side of the uh, Atlantic. Mm. And, and finally on this, Tom, because obviously we are here to, to focus on economies and markets. What, what Does the market really favour one party or another when it comes to, well, politics ever, but certainly in American politics? Um, because, you, you, you know, the reality is it's not always the case that the, the, the markets want one side to win 
clearly above the other, is it? I mean, what would what would the hard-nosed investor looking at the midterms elections, what would they want to see coming out of it? Well, I mean, markets actually tend to be pretty relaxed about the kind of gridlock that we were talking about earlier on. Uh, it, it, it prevents, um, you know, big, uh, radical, far-reaching measures being implemented. And that actually can be quite helpful for the economy if, for example, it prevents a president... Um, uh, spending heavily, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, fiscal support for the economy can actually be inflationary. Mm-hmm. So n- the the inability to do that as can tax be a, cuts can be a good thing, and tax cuts as well. Yeah, yeah. So so actually, I think markets rather rather welcome the fact that that that, that the White House's hands are tied uh, <laughs> by these checks and balances uh, that we talked about, and it's. It's it's often said that the third year of the four year presidential cycle is often the best uh, in in market terms. The performance of the stock market tends to be strongest in the third year of that four year term. And one of the reasons for that um, is that this gridlock is quite a common occurrence. The other reason, of course, is that you know as the as the election starts to uh, approach, then to the extent that they can, presidents start to. Um, ease up a bit and start to start start to spend. So for a couple of different reasons, the third year can be quite good for markets. Yeah, I, I suppose one 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 issue that uh, could arise if we have this sort of gridlock across the political system is um, failures to pass budgets and 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 debt ceilings and things. We've had this situation many times in, in over the, the past few years. Basically, a party in opposition refuses to pass a budget because we're not going to spend any on mo- any money on extra spending. And then that effectively shuts down parts of the government. I mean, there can be economic hits from that kind of thing. I mean, we have seen that. Yes. And, you know, when when you've got uh, opposition within the system, um, you know, there's always the potential for those... Uh, for those situations to arise, they do tend to resolve themselves. They they yeah. very often get pushed right to the wire, and that creates uncertainty. Um, but uh, but but it's more it's more uncertainty than a, than a real economic uh, impact. And just finally, finally on this topic, Tom, is is the lesson of the past? Well, maybe twenty twenty two in terms of, of of politics and markets. Markets want politicians to just get out of the way. Actually, what they would like them to do is say, well, yeah. Central banks have a job to do to stop getting in the way of that. Um, and, you know, we, do, we don't want to see radical spending. We don't want to see radical tax cuts. What we want to see is for monetary policy to be able to do its work. Yes, and I think that is going to be the story of the next two years. I think that the, the main drivers of the, uh, of the market over the next two years uh, will be the things which, which have been driving the market, but they've been mixed up with, with politics as well. But we're going to see you know, what the Federal Reserve does, what happens to inflation, what happens to interest rates. Those are going to be the key factors over the next two years. Okay, okay. Well, let's move on for now, Tom. I did also say that we would take a look at some UK news this week, more politics, I'm afraid. Um, And that is the upcoming autumn statement, which is happening next Thursday. We're actually going to speak again before the the announcement next Thursday. So um, we won't uh, burn through all our powder now. But uh, there has been many, many rumours about what's going to be in the autumn statement, both in terms of spending but um, also in terms of, of tax 
raising measures. Does anything stand out to you, Tom, that we've seen in the past few days in the reporting that's particularly likely to happen or unlikely to happen vis-a-vis the autumn statement next week? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's useful just to sort of set the scene and, you know, the the, the background to next week's um, uh, budget uh, is that the, the, the government has got a big fiscal black hole to fill i mean there is a there is there is a there is a shortfall which is estimated to be uh you know something like 50 or 60 billion pounds that they need to find um and there are two ways of doing that you know the government can spend less or it can raise more money in taxes and the reality is that next week we're probably likely to see a mixture of both of those um uh, traditionally uh, the preference has been to focus more on spending cuts than on uh, tax rises that's politically more acceptable that may be slightly different this time and one of the reasons why it's different is that um, having been through the austerity years in the wake of the financial crisis an awful lot of spending has already been cut mm. and actually it is becoming more politically difficult for governments to push through more spending cuts so I think the it, it, it's thought that the balance is going to be more 50-50 uh, this time, which means that we're looking for tax rises of, you know, perhaps £25 billion. Um, there are a number of different ways uh, they can they can do that. There are um, overt tax rises, they can increase the rate of tax, or there are stealthier ways of doing that. Uh, and one of the traditional um, stealthy ways of, of uh, raising uh, tax revenue is to hold down, to freeze uh, the 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 allowances um, and the and the and the the bans the hurdles yes. beyond which someone pays a higher rate of tax. That's that's a very common approach, and I think we're going to see a lot of that uh, next week. I think a lot of the work is going to be done by freezing of those allowances, allowing inflation to do the hard work, and also um, by back weighting a lot of the measures so that um, they really take effect after the election, which mm-hmm. is going to have to happen in within the next two years, a lot of it's going to be backweighted to put pressure on um, the opposition, uh, the Labour Party, to either agree with uh, the, the tax rises yes. uh, or the spending cuts or to come up with something different. So uh, the implication of that, there, that has an economic uh, impact as well, because if the measures are backweighted, it puts more pressure on the Bank of England to do the hard work now in the short term. So it could mean that interest rates are maybe marginally a little bit higher than they would have been otherwise. Yeah, I I think there's a couple of things to say ahead of next week. I mean, first of all, um, the government does not want a repeat of the mini budget where things were unfunded. It was too radical for markets, certainly. Um, it was inflationary, the markets assumed. We want the opposite of that, or the government certainly wants the opposite of that. That means that the the tone is going to be very dour. Mm. Um, Probably the numbers will be tough as well. Spending cuts, maybe maybe tax rises, but I think it's more a tone of voicing, actually. They're going to want to communicate austerity rather than necessarily delivering austerity but we shall we shall see there have been some rumors about specific tax changes that could uh, impact people's personal finances and i just wanted to run over some of those to see how likely or not we think they are mm. i mean uh, capital gains tax uh, obviously relevant to, to to many investors um that's been in the news there's all sorts of ways that that could be changed the most 
nuclear of those options would be something that uh, has been rumoured, which is to suddenly apply capital gains tax on the gains that people make when they sell their primary residence. Not the secondary additional homes, which... You know, Already CGT, attracts CGT, Indeed. Yeah. Um, this would be people's main home. What do you think about the, the chance of that coming to pass? Um, uh, close to zero, I'd say, because <laughs> politically... That you know, in a in in a society where, Hard where, to think of where home popular. ownership is so important, <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to see how any government would would <clears throat> would would do that. I mean, the thing about CGT is that um, you have to be pretty wealthy to be to be paying yeah. capital gains tax because there are you know um, uh, measures in place, you know, uh, ISAs and SIPs, which allow people to to save uh, and to avoid paying capital gains tax so if you are paying capital gains tax you're probably yeah. quite wealthy so it is politically um uh sensible and advantageous to to, to focus on that um it is kind of counter to what the conservatives stand for because it 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 it, it, it would you know at the margin stymie um um entrepreneurship you know the, the 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 people that set up businesses uh create wealth yeah. in that way so i i think it's unlikely that we get anything very sweeping people talk about the possibility of equalizing the yes. rate of income tax and, and capital gains tax the top rate of capital gains tax is currently 20 percent as opposed to 45 pence percent being the the top rate of income tax rate i think it's extremely unlikely that you get a an equalization but at the margin and maybe with the uh, tax-free allowance for capital gains that might that mm. might change a little bit you know there, there may be smaller tweaks that, that might happen on that front yeah and um well another area that's been spoken about tom uh where we could see change and i, I suspect there could be um some movement here is around dividend tax mm. uh, a little bit like cgt the, the, the people who really need to worry about dividend tax are probably very wealthy. There may be a small business element to this as well, but perhaps those people would have to worry about dividend tax more. But in terms of um, people living from the dividends from from listed companies, mm. uh, not many people have to worry about it. It could be an area that the government decides is is a juicy target. Yes, I think I think it's possible for exactly the same reasons that if you are paying. Um, uh, tax on dividends everyone has a a two thousand pound uh you know tax-free dividend allowance every year and that's in addition to the the the, you know the protection from dividend uh tax uh within an isa and a sip so again you'd have to be pretty wealthy Mm. not to have arranged your not to not to have been able to arrange your affairs in a way that that minimizes that so i think from a political reason uh it's possible that that will be targeted as well um, and and finally, the the last one area we'll discuss today is around is around pensions, pensions tax relief. It always gets raised as a potential uh, revenue raising measure that they could alter the system, make it less generous to high earners, because the system is potentially the most generous to the highest earners, as as we stand today. Um, it could happen. It's probably going to happen one day. Do you think it's going to be this time? Well, I mean, this is the perennial um, topic that that comes up before every every budget. Um, It'll and be right one day. It, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the, the stop clock is 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 right. You know, twice a day. Yeah. Um, at some point, um, maybe the the government will will target pensions. It it doesn't feel like it's the most obvious way to fill fill that gap, for the reasons that we've discussed. I think there are other 
um, you know, more subtle, stealthier ways that they can raise the tax revenue. Okay, okay. Well, uh, Tom, as I've said, we're probably going to talk more on these measures in the weeks ahead, but uh, that is all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ed. You've been listening to the Money Talk podcast. Check fidelity.co.uk for daily written updates and articles on these and other topics from across Fidelity in the UK. And subscribe via iTunes to get the podcast downloaded direct to your devices every week. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.